And in general, when we're talking about specific directions of mobility, we're also considering the whole back line of the body. It's focusing on the myofascial connective tissue on a deeper level, okay, so from the soles of the feet all the way up through the back of the calves, back of the legs, hips, lower back, all the way up the spine, to the top of the head, basically to the roof of the mouth, where it technically connects. But in general, just consider the whole back line of the body and think about how the myofascial connective tissue is hugging the muscles and the bones. Like, you know, you don't have to get technical with it. But you do want to consider what the whole back line of the body is doing. Are you able to access the calves? Are you able to access the hamstrings? Are you able to access the lower back and the spine? So those are the things that you want to consider personally. But when you're looking at somebody, you also want to consider those things so that they're getting the most out of the postures. Now, certain postures, because certain people are going to be tighter in different areas. Certain postures will have a different effect on people. And so that's another thing that you're going to have to observe yourself and other people when you've got these target areas. So just because you're still focused on the shape of the pose or the whole back line of the pose and forward fold, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be areas that are working more or stretching more. It's all, and that's going to be based on the individual and where they're more constricted at. So it's up to us as individuals when we're practicing and as a teacher to help the student be able to access most of that back line and still be able to access and find a stretch in the target areas. So you're not going to avoid it completely. But the hamstrings are a target area for people in the forward fold. You're not going to have them bend the knees so much that they don't find a stretch on the hamstring, but just enough. So you have them bend your knees, get the length of the spine again, then have them go into the forward fold, then have them straighten the legs. So in terms of correction, you're finding out where they're compensating, do what you need to do to correct the compensation, and then bring them back as fully into the pose as you can. Does that make sense? So an example is, to bring them out of compensation because they're not really fully accessing what they can in terms of elongating the spine, which is some of the basic principles of forward folding. I'm going to have them bend the knees, and the knees, right, which shortens up a little bit of the back line of the body, gives them the opportunity to lengthen. I corrected the compensation, first step, and then what I need to do to get them out of compensating, I corrected the compensation, step two, and then I'm going to get them back as fully into the posture as possible with as much of that line, the back line, participating as possible. There's kind of like three steps to that. So I'm still working on these target areas, but I'm not stressing them out. With seated forward folds, the body, the hips, are more stable, ultimately. They're more fixed. So it can be more challenging for people on the forward folds when they're seated forward folds and they're standing forward folds, right? which means they're going to compensate more. If you're reading the Anatomy of Kata Yoga book, and they talk about the mutation, the, the, the shifting, there's a little bit of movement in the sacrum in the lower back. There's just a little bit. You get more into that when you start focusing on twisting, but they bring it up in that book about when they're talking about forward folds. And it's associated with the 
what's it's still what's kind of it still is the anterior shoulder so when you focus on hinging at the hip inflection at the hip that's that anterior tilt and pelvis. And it's associated that kind of shifting of the sacrum is happening there. When your hips are more fixed, that's something that needs to be there even more. So over time, that starts becoming more accessible for people. But at the beginning, it's too subtle. So as a teacher, you're going to start figuring out ways to get people more involved in that and those subtle shifts in the hip so that they start getting access into stretching here in the lower back. Right? It's one of the areas that most people are stuck in. And they'll have this little bit of rounding here. You see that? And you start looking at people's forward fold, a little bit of rounding. This little bit of a shift in the sacrum is going to help lift that up and lengthen that part the lumbar spine. Again, once you get to a certain point and the belly is resting on the thigh, you don't want to keep pulling and pulling and pulling. You're going to slip a disc, you're going to do something where the lower back is going to get aggravated. Once you get to a certain point, then you start bringing more flexion into the spine. It's a part of the forward fold, it's just you want to know the difference between compensation and getting to a point where there needs to be more flexion in the spine because you've really reached your, I don't even want to say maximum, because I think when you go to your maximum, usually that's too far. But you've reached your fullest capacity of the stretch in the lower back and in the lower half of the body. And once you reach that capacity, that, that capability, then you start getting a little bit more into the thoracic spine. It's all apart, you're getting a stretch in the back, but it's different. And for most people, they're always doing this at the beginning, they're never going to access that. And then they're just going to keep getting into this methodic curve. And then they'll be eight years old and won't feel <laughs> sad, but it happens. Everything away from the wall behind you, and go into Dandasa. Up against the wall. That's not enough. Say it. Stack pose. See if you can get your sacrum, base of the spine, shoulder blades, and back of your head. No, it's like this. That's the posture. Nice try, Chopra. <laughs> Alright, so here you are. A supported dandasana. Great place to start beginners. Dandasana is the foundation of all of your seated postures, whether they're symmetrical or whether they're asymmetrical. This is the place and the feeling on your sit bones and the length in your spine right, that you want essentially in all of the seated forward, forward all of the seated postures, unless you're working on deepening the forward fold. But this is the starting point. Back of the head, 
shoulder blades, and sacrum. So there's space between your lower back, just a little bit of space. Don't pull the leverage. Right? Just let the natural curve be there in the lower back. Natural curve in the upper back takes the shoulder blade area to the wall. Natural curve in the cervical spine comes away from the wall, and then the back of your head is on the wall. Does that make sense? Take a few breaths here. Great place to start beginners. Some people will not be able to do this. And if that is the case, you will have them sit on a bolster, two bolsters, or a block, or a double up blanket. Something to get their hips higher than their knees. If that's still unaccessible for them, you have them bend their knees. Now their lower back is gonna flatten out here, but at least you give them the sensation of what you want their upper half of the body to feel like a little bit. James, now, I feel uncomfortable with my lower back here. Mm -hmm. It feels uncomfortable. Now, sit on a bolster. bolster. Yeah. There is some line between like, sitting on the bolster and being comfortable and not like advancing forward. Well, the nuts of it is this. Right, I mean, your hands are down, right? Eventually, but put the walls there, you can actually, can't take the hands back where they're supposed to go. But sitting on a bolster and advancing in Dandasana? Yeah, because I'm sitting yeah. between my shoulder. So, but I feel like I'm screaming in my head. There might be more of a kyphotic curve in your upper back. So, for you to take the head back, you need to bring the chin. So what I would have for you is to move a little bit further away from the wall. And now take your torso away from the wall. Lift up more. Bring the back of your head down. But leave your shoulder blades off. Does that feel better? You're probably using more core strength inside, but it takes that away. So these are the things that you're going to, as teachers, have to explore with people. Because you're this individual that I don't, you know your body the best, but there's little things that you have to work on, and really it's like this sleuthing mission, right? So with this general postures, which most of the people are okay with, a couple of you weren't. So you make the adjustments like we just did, and did that help with the bolster? It's about the same. It's about the same. And this helps. <laughs> But that helps. <laughs> yeah. What might be happening is there might be more of a, a less of a lumbar curve for you. So to get that lumbar curve in is really challenging for you. So when you're able to flatten out the lumbar curve a little bit, it feels better. So even though he's got his back flattened a little bit more, it's still in more extension than it was. I mean, you're still working with a little bit different of a position than just getting into it completely. So your work is just as much as my work, but it just looks different. But the way that you're working with your spine, you're still lengthening, you're still getting all the other components in, and also like your lumbar spine is still working in the direction of moving forward and taking the curve in, but it's just less. It's where you have to to work with the pose. Right? So you have to adjust. Now if you come away from the wall, take your wrist about an inch behind your hips, spread the fingers, spread the palms, 
use the weight uh, arms to rest a little bit of the weight of your body instead of the wall ultimately. Now you're realizing how your arms can take the place of the wall. Now there might be a little bit of a shoulder shrug, but don't let it be excessive. You're going to push into the palms where you can almost feel like you're lifting up the hips. When you stay in it longer, right? I mean, people are like, I can see people starting to come over like, I'm going to So if you can imagine some beginner coming into class and being like, you're having them sit in any seated posture. That's what they're feeling like. Is you sitting in Dandasana for five minutes. These classes, too, really help us to remind us of what a beginner's mind is. Right? Because oftentimes we go into the class and start teaching things that are comfortable for us, and we forget what's uncomfortable for most people at the beginning of the practice. And for most of you, you're going to be teaching beginners mostly at first, people that are new to the practice. All right, so that's Dandasana. Breaking down the posture, still working on the anterior flexion, but now the hips are fixed, and you're essentially in this posture. You're on the floor, hips are more fixed, and the way that you're managing your body weight is different. So where gravity is in relationship to the spine is completely different. Now, go ahead and lie on your back, the head facing the wall, with the spine completely supported, now go into Sutta Pashimottanasana. Say Pashimottanasana. Pashimottanasana. So who's having a difficult time keeping their legs there? Right? Most, most of you have a challenging time taking the legs up and keeping that 90 degree angle with the legs. Right? So bring the soles of the feet down. Take a couple of breaths here. And if you had a difficult time, we'll grab a strap, roll over, grab a strap if you don't have a strap next to you. Now we're going to strap around the feet, lie back onto your back. Some of you have mobility in your forward fold to grab the feet, which is fine. It's like we're going grab Now I want you to explore for the next four or five breaths what it feels like for you to bend your knees. Not excessively. Just bend the knees a little bit. See what happens to your lower back. Notice how the spine feels. And then explore straightening the legs a little bit. Right? Keep shoulder blades on the floor. Feel like your elbows stay in tight and it's like you're pulling the reins on a horse. If you got the strap. And just to feel the effects of Bending your knees and having the spine completely supported here in Pashim Mutanasana. There's two different Usually, most people, especially beginners, will have more access into 
more of their backline. Do you feel that? When you're in crack, you have more or less access into the backline of your body here. So if you'll remember that, now bring yourself up and sit with the head up toward the ceiling in the same position. Bend your knees as much as you need to, like you did on your back, to get the same feeling in your body. So this is the ideal way to teach beginners this posture. Seated forward folds are the most challenging for beginners. I mean, a lot of postures are, but forward folded folds are usually pretty elusive. They, just, they don't know how to put their bodies in space. Now go ahead and release the strap. Take both arms up alongside the ears, palms face each other. More of a strengthening component there, right? Take three or four more breaths. Right? Now you're engaging more of the abdominal wall. So hold that position. Now with the navel engaged, hinge at the hip and see how far your hands come down towards your feet. And then grab shins or feet. Now most of you are starting to round back a little bit. And a little bit is okay, but be mindful of compensating in the upper back. And then bring yourself up and up. And then allow you to the center of your They go into Pashimotanasana just the way they were. If you can't see them, make sure you sit up and see them. Now, what do you see? What is the spine doing? What are the hips? What is the hips doing? What's the upper back doing? Neck doing? Just by looking at them, what do you see? Yeah. Where? Okay. Anything else? See any areas? Open your eyes up to more than maybe just the physical, but the idea is it's like, where else in the body do you feel are kind of stuck? The shoulders are kind of, it looks like they're kind of pushing, pushing up towards the ears a little bit. Okay, good. Normal bumpies. They will be Right? So what you guys are looking at when you're observing is where he's stuck. There's not just a physical component there, but there's an energetic component too. So what we might do is, again, what's the first step? The amount of compensation, right? So what we're going to do is have you bend your knees, bring your torso up and back toward me, lift up here, bend your knees more, good. Anterior tilt just happens a little bit more, right? We're going to keep that anterior tilt, lengthen up from there, good. And then start moving your belly towards your thighs. So he's talking about right there, right? It's where he needs to be. And even though you reach for the foot, this He's rounding a lot less. He heard the cue, he fat himself. <laughs> but he had to reach forward a lot less, right? Because he had more length in his lower back, right? So even though he's still rounding his back, this is a more effective posture for him, and we unlocked something, right? So find, you can't work on everything at, at once, right? We can get a little bit more into this when we talk about adjusting people and, and, and observing you know, how to look at people. But when you're Breaking down seated forward folds. When we're talking about breaking down postures, what we want to be aware of is where, where you're going to most likely get blocked up. Where are you going to get most stuck? And so forward fold in general, we're focusing on the hips and spine. But with seated forward folds, this area you get blocked up into, 
this area you get locked up into, and then here. He, he was like a really prime example that hit all three of those marks. Were they excessive? No. When you get a beginner in class, it's going to be excessive. I mean, he knew enough to not go so far, but he had those three target areas that in seated forward folds, you're going to pay the most attention to. Yeah, and that's what I was referring to when it's like once you get to a certain point, the capacity of your lower back and hip stretch, you stop. And then, then you bring flexion into the spine. You can't keep pulling and lengthening the lower back, lengthening the lower back. Because then you get the same complications that you would still stressing out the lower back. So even if you're rounding the lower back, you get the same you're, you're creating the same complications. It's going to be a different direction. So folding disc out to the back, you know, you know, you're going to get a folding disc out to the you know, it's just going to be a different complication. And it seems like you release tension in one important area, everything else follows. It's like you focus on one area, like just looking at the knees up, seems like everything else changed. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times that's what happens. And so that's where you, that's when you have to figure out what these main areas are that you tend to get stuck in. And if you just change one, sometimes it has domino no effect and the rest of them start correcting. When you bring people out of compensation, when you, when you bring yourself or take somebody else out of compensation, right, that's the beginning of it. And that's when you see the body light up in a different way. Right? Because they're also in a very loose version of pushing the chest. Right? You're still in forward fold, still flexing the hips, still sitting down on the floor. But the other components aren't there, like straighten the legs or lengthen the spine. So that's it. Lighten them up, right? Take them out of compensation, and then find that stuck space, have them move it differently, and then work with the other components next. Only as far as they can go. Then that's the pose for them. That's the pose for you. So going to grabbing the feet. Right? Is keeping the knees slightly back here. Right? He's done a little bit of correction here. This is still pretty long, but he's still lit up. And now I'll go ahead and use a strap. And you want to see what the legs straight, right, G? Yeah. Yeah, so straighten out the legs. What do you see? And then if you hinged a little bit more the hips. Sometimes they do. Sometimes there's just too much effort involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the roundness is gone. The roundness in the upper back is gone. But now the leg was having the curve is gone here. But now he's almost going into extension. Like his thoracic spine is almost going in further than he even needs, and then he compensated here, so he lost this to gain that. And what we're mostly focused on is more flexion in the hip at first. And so we want to get a little bit more attention down here. Now, I could probably get him to do both. So if you were to go back here, bend your knees a little bit more, and then lengthen here, now I got him to do both. But I had to have him bend the knees a little bit. Yeah. Again, this is, this is the difference between a seated forward fold and a standing forward fold. So it's good that you that we had him do this because now you're starting to see the difference between both of them and why we break them down. The adjustments are different and their points are different. When you're in a standing forward fold like Utanasana, I could have somebody bend their knees and get them into this position feeling pretty good pretty easily because they can shift their hips back and they can get their shifts a lot more. They can do all that stuff. When their hips are fixed, they can't do that as much. So I could have them like straight and up here and get that spine lit up. But on the floor, I couldn't. I had to have them bend the knees. 
Yeah, so for most beginners or people that build stuff, even a micro vent can make a big difference in terms of the effect that you can have on the lower back, those hot spots, right? And not, and not compensating, you know, by taking that, grounding out a little bit. Because ultimately, if they're not doing it excessively, that's the difference between compensation and just allowing there to be flexion in the spine. We're not made of paper, so there's going to be some flexion in the spine. So if it's there a little bit, it's okay. It's fine. But if, if, they're, if they're doing that to compensate somewhere else that's stuck, that's what you have to So that that's the difference. And there's a big difference between the seated forward fold, I think, and the standing fold. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like it's compensating somewhere. You're not bringing compensation into the spine. You're, what you're doing is you know, shifting the hips so that you get a, so that you make the stretch available. It's not wrong. It's just different. I think that it's more effective if they keep their elbows slightly bent and drawn in. If they're here, their arm bones are just drawing out of their shoulder sockets, and most likely their shoulder blades are drawn, they're going to go into the thoracic spine, where they're compensating like this. If their elbows are drawn back, there's less of a chance of them being allowed to do that. Yeah. They don't have to be way back here, because then they're straining the back and the shoulders in another way. But again, so that you're not creating too much effort, you want balance. So elbows slightly bent, hands here, middle path. Nothing too excessive, nothing here, nothing there, right in the middle, so that you can monitor the effort that you're putting into the posture. And if you feel like by using the strap, you lose access to certain areas that you know you need to stretch, then the strap might not be a beneficial tool for you. But if you are not using the strap to avoid areas, getting into the areas that are already mobile, like in your thoracic spine, maybe you know somewhere in your hip, and you know, avoiding the areas that you need stretching, then the strap is, is necessary. It's going to help you tap into the areas that you're not able to unless you use it. So that's that's the assessment. You know, as individuals, you have to make. And then also, when you're working on somebody else, you, you have to kind of use your eyes in a different way to see where those stuck areas are. And at that time, it's a team effort. You know, you're figuring stuff out together. You're going to learn a lot by working with people, and then from learning from other people, you'll be able to spot things easier, and then you'll be able to make adjustments quicker. You're going to know what needs to happen. So back onto the mats. Let's do Johnny Shirtsons. Johnny Shirtsons. Johnny Shirtsons. Sheer, like a sheer nylon, and sheer shah, like hush. So sheer, sheer, shah. Does that make sense? Now you guys will always think of like Dining is knee, so it's head to knee pose. So ultimately, your knee. Your head might come down to your knee once the belly and the ribcage come down. But when people hear head to knee, that's what we do. So again, with asymmetrical poses, you've got an external rotation with this thigh bone, but you still want to feel an evenness with the hips, just like you would in Dandasana. So now you're just adding another component, which again, depending on somebody's mobility, external rotations can 
be really challenging for some people. Internal rotation are really challenging. Another thing is you don't want the leg to be too far back. It's going to create a shortness and compression on the left side of the sacrum here. The right hip will come back a little bit, but don't allow it to come back excessively. Some people that have shorter IT bands and tighter hips are going to want to take this leg back because it makes or fold, they think, more accessible, but they're missing out on the stretch, and they're just going to bring more compression to the left side. So hips are fairly even. And just like Pashimottanasana, you're keeping the spine in line with the inside of the leg, taking the belly toward the thigh. And I want you to practice however is most available to you, either using a strap, bending your knee a little bit, or you have the availability of grabbing the foot. And focus on those three hot spots. Now go ahead and come up and change sides. Can I be important to tell people to make sure they're on post of bones? Is that a helpful instruction? Yeah, whenever the leg is in an external rotation, that sit bone will feel like it's lifting up a little bit more for most people. They're going to rest a little bit more in the extended leg sit bone. But in general, we're always going back to Dandasana. So I think it's a good reference for people so that they're settled in the hips evenly. They're not going to be completely even, but they're feeling settled in both sides of the hip. Yeah. James, where's the optimal place for the strap? Like around the... I think, yeah, around the ball mount of the big toe and pinky toe. And then that way, you're not, you know, if you go into the arch, sometimes you'll go into, I think it's pronation, where you take the inner arch inward mm -hmm. and neck. Should the folding foot uh, at exactly a 90 degree angle? I mean, the folding leg exactly or a little bit? What? It will probably it will be at a slight angle, right? So it won't be a yeah. slight angle again. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, again, it will shorten up on the other side. And then bring the torso up. <laughs> now, classically, what will what I the uh, text say is that that heel, the bent leg, is actually resting on the base. Like I think like Shivananda Yoga practices, like they really emphasize that. So you can practice that on your own, and there's an energetic effect. It's more grounding that actually helps to you know maintain more of a grounding presence to the palm. Feel. You feel differently from side to side. That's going to be really common. So when you're looking at other people, the idea isn't to make you know both sides necessarily look pleasing, but it's about more about the feeling and the postures. So we need to figure out okay, why is this side different than the other? Where am I more constricted? Why are I, am I not available? And those three hot spots are a good place to start, but it might be in the hamstring, might be somewhere else deep within the hip structure. It's muscularly, which it is for a lot of people. It's a lot of times just what we do in our daily life. We're always using one leg. Most people are so. um, Or standing at the ATM, standing on one leg, standing a lot. We're always so. Those are the things that that's. What's going on for you? You have to start being more mindful in your daily life. But you can do Pashmantanasana or Janushrasana for five breaths once a day, 
But if for six hours you're standing on one hip and one leg, really kind of a blanket over a fortune. You know? <laughs> you're not going to make that much of a difference. So you need to start bringing awareness into your daily life of how you're using your body. And then ultimately being aware of how you're using your body, you're still probably going to go into that pattern, but you're going to be doing it less, and that means through practice that you're doing it. It's going to be more effective. So you'll at least be bringing compensation to balance. So Janu Shasasa, now that there's a general position to the legs, the next step might be Manichasana 1. And that's with the soles put up for and the knee going straight up. Now, for beginners, this is going to be really challenging. And you notice in Janu Shasasana, the hip is going to be lifting up a little bit. Now it's going to be lifting up even more. So, for beginners, having the support of the left arm, Let's all start on the right leg up, just so if there's any verbal cues, it's not confusing. So right leg up, left leg extended out. Okay. So if you've got your right leg up, just put it down. And then that way you've got the support, and there's a little bit more evenness in the hip. And the idea of that first step, so we're breaking it down, is to get the forward fold and find that boundary here in those three hot spots. Finding length, finding pinching at the hip, anterior tilt, while still maintaining feeling pretty grounded in the hips. This is a beginner version for Mary Chasta. Mary Chasta. There's a line, there's Mary Chasta. Mary Chasta. You're letting the ribcage slide to the inside of the thigh. Now the next step is to actually wrap this arm around the shin, and then there's a bind where you're clasping the hands behind the back, and then you're deepening both. Not accessible for most people, right? Especially with the bind. So you're going to stay here. This adds whole component in terms of flexibility in the shoulders, right? And you're going to need more flexibility in the hot spots, right? So. Modifications. Be really aware of what modifications are effective, and you're going to know what modifications are effective because you know what areas of the body to address and affect. Right? So if you see somebody like this and they're struggling, or if they're going like this in mind, it's not going to be an effective posture, right? Because then they're going to go back, lower back. This first here or here. They're going to have more of an opportunity to work on those feet spots. Interior tilt, right? Lengthening the lower back. Right? Making sure that you're not rounding in the upper back. And then make sure that you're not punching the shoulders, right? So that so you're kind of hips in the lower back. Is one of the um, important things here to make sure that your shoulders are all out of alignment if you're trying to buy? Like at that point, your shoulders become much more important. What oftentimes happens is if there's a bind, you need some sort, you need to compromise a little bit, right, at first. So with certain binds, I find this to be true. If you're binding, I might need to compromise and take my right shoulder back, bind, but then once you have the bind, the bind is supposed to allow you to ease into the pose. Right? Energetically, keeping the energy inward and creating a circuit of energy, but physically, it's allowing to rest into the pose, should be supportive. And so once I have the bind, I should be able to then 
left my right rib cage or that other rib cage, and both shoulders come down. Does that make sense? Yes. So if the body doesn't feel supportive for you, sometimes we're working with bodies that are really close and they're challenging, we're almost there, it feels a little bit more like a struggle at first. That's okay, we kind of go through phases sometimes like that. But ultimately, if you're not able to find support with the binds, you just have to let them go. They're not being, they're not a tool that you need to help you find a specific space to find your most effective stretch. Right? You see the impact right now. But we're on our six degrees. <laughs> yeah? Um, with the standing, I guess the foot that's how important is it to keep your toes in line? Because I've seen in different classes, I've seen people in the spine have their everything all outwards. Yeah. Well, the direction that we're moving into is from a neutral leg to an external position to now starting to work towards an internal rotation. And people that do that don't have the availability of internal rotation. And classically, they shouldn't do that. If there's something structural going on, whether it's some sort of like psoas issue or like physically structural issue with their hip structure and their leg, then there might be an allowance there to a degree. But if they're taking a deep, like extra rotation with that thigh to be able to just do the bind, what are they doing? They're compensating. Avoiding an area or direction of mobility that they don't have by going into a direction of mobility that they do have. So, to a degree, again, if there's structural issues, you get some of an allowance, some allowance. But if they're doing it excessively, it's not the pose. They're not working on the direction of mobility. So now we're starting to work with moving toward an internal rotation. So, should you be pushing your, like this, almost like pushing this into your shoulder? If you're working with the first phase, you pretty much just want it to be there. You don't want it to be necessarily engaged. Okay. And just start working with forward fold. Okay. But ultimately, when you do the bind, that's what you're doing anyway. Squeezing it in. Yeah. Right. You feel the effects of that? Yeah. Yeah. Because with any bind, that chronically is, is what's happening. Physically, you can express that. So then we go into internal rotation, which is virasana. Now, virasana is it. Virasana. 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 Vajrasana sometimes is difficult to knock because of the stretch in the thigh. If there's issues with the knees or the ankles, ankles, take the extension, roll up a blanket and put it in the crook of the foot. You have to take some of the extension means you're flapping the top of the foot and the ankle. Any kind of ankle issue. Can you throw me the poster? With knees, first step, might be to take a bolster between the thighs and the heels because too much flexion in the knee will sometimes aggravate conditions such as well, arthritis, sometimes surgery. And like in general, we can reconstruct surgery. Not always, but sometimes. Right? There's still some times where there's posture for people, and they're just going to have to let it go. Right? 
and you have to get them into some sort of comfortable seated position. Or sometimes if you use two bolsters, sometimes if you curl the toes on the ankles and the knees at the same time, you're going to have to figure some stuff out. If they can't do, they're not going to do Virasana. It's just not going to happen. But what I want you to find is Virasana for you. Now, if your hips don't come all the way down to the floor, then you need a bolster or a quad underneath your hips. The other component to Virasana that I want you to be mindful of is the calf muscles. You have a lateral and a medial calf here. So there's muscles, kind of a division there in the lateral and medial section. Your knees should be close together, and then your thighs should rest the center of the calf. This will help to take torque out of the knee. If all the calf muscle flesh is pushed out to the side, it's going to put pressure into the knee. If all the calf muscle flesh is pushed inward, pressure or torque in the knee. Well, you're stretching that muscle. I mean, whenever you're, you know, extension of the ankle, I mean, that's going to tap into a lot of the muscles that, you know, ride along the front line of the, the um, lower leg. So, you know, you might be finding new territory. Oftentimes what you'll find is, especially with postures that might be more accessible to you, over time, what happens is your body starts settling into certain poses, and you find a level of comfortability with them, and you find areas. So that area might have been tight for you all along, but it wasn't releasing. It was so focused on somewhere else, like in the thighs or deep within the hip. But now, since those areas have loosened up for you, now you're starting to get into some more maybe connective tissue or some of the you know, deeper muscles in general in different areas of your body. So you'll find that um, to be true once certain postures get more comfortable for you. That might be what's going on too. And in this pose, you always kind of feel like you know, your back is kind of very hard to lift in. Yeah, think Right? I mean, there's going to be variations. Maybe you do do a forward fold in your awesome, which I don't recommend because usually it puts too much weirdness in the hip. You take a, and, and going back is, is a variation of this? And Sutta is another variation, which again is really not very accessible for most people. And hope, like in our stuff, we might work up towards it and do like compensate on top three poses to get them warmed up for Sutta Virasana. Yeah, so it's, it's a very very pose because it's opening up the front line of your body, right? The whole front line of your body, even the tops of the feet. Yeah. So that's why it's liberating. And in Sutta Parasana, are you supposed to be almost like this? Yeah. Yeah. Or to be like, yeah. because like, I've been mm-hmm. on both. Like, you know, in this position, in, in Sutta Parasana? Yeah, like you go like that. I would say that second variation I just did, that's not considered to be more classic. You're going to be natural extension when you go back into Sutta Parasana. To extend that way, I think it's just another variation that just um, increases on the extension. But when you're lying down, it should be more restorative, <laughs> right? Because you could be, you know, as we get older, our bodies don't necessarily know the fluid, you know, in some of the joints. So it, the cushion starts wearing away, so the cartilage might start wearing away. And so what might be happening is when you're Doing that, and there's that deep flexion there. It's going on wrong, you know. So that pain 
is a signal. They tell you to stop up. <laughs> and then if you kind of make some adjustments and see if you can get out of it while still maintaining the, the integrity of the pose, maybe blessings that's still there. You know, so lost in what we used to be able to do. You know, and the idea of allowing our practice to evolve and change is so necessary. Because we just never need to do poses that hurt us. There's nothing out there in the world that's trying to hurt us. We need to make the practice. I like to the hearty yoga books. That's something like, or was to yeah. just stick out my Yeah, and you approach it every day with like a mom. You know, be open to the potential that's there. Because it can be, it can be improved. But, you know, you just have to be open to worse. Alright, once we start getting into deeper internal rotation, what is kind of a combination, but it, it's, it does have more of an internal rotation effect to it, is Gomukhasana. Let's take the right side over the left. So this is another one, now we're starting to get complicated forward folds, seated forward folds, right, as we're still in flexion. You're going to get more and more unevenness to the hips, or a feeling of more unevenness to the hips. So you'll use a bolster or a flat or something underneath the hips to keep the hips fairly even if you need to, right? The right hip might lift up a little bit if your right leg is on top. And then with the knees, there's a lot, you know, people really branch their knees, right, to the midline. I don't necessarily feel that the knees need to be perfectly stacked over each other to stretch in the hip. Right? If you start moving the stretch into the knee, what you're getting into is more tenderness tissue, and it's just not as resilient or not as flexible. The hips, which have a lot more resiliency, right? You overstretch something in your hip, you're looking at maybe a week or two of bouncing back. You overstress something in the knee, you're probably looking at six months to a year. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it's much more delicate than your hip structure. It's muscular, you know. So, I tell people they want to feel what's happening with this posture in their hip. Now, again, if their IT band is tight or if their thighs are tight, they might feel the stretch there. But to get the weight into their hip structure and to feel the stretch in their hip is what I want people to feel the most. And then with the idea of having a long spine. If their hips and lower back are tight, this area is tight, they're going to be really challenged with lifting up and lengthening the spine. So you want to make sure you have that component there. Now, with the arm, that's a whole other um, entity in itself, right? But it's a combination. So whichever leg is on the bottom, that's the arm possibly that and energetically the connection of shoulder to hip is a stronger connection, it's more of a like a figure eight like a circle. The other legs on the bottom is up. Now, with this arm variation, if you're not able to fingertips together and fold the fingers into each other, you're going to use the strap to bridge the gap. We're going to use the strap to take the arms out, change the legs. There's no work on the arms a little bit. I want you to show, you, show your tricks in the arm position. Right? We get a little bit more into it when we work on this posture with adjustments. But if you take 
Yeah. yeah. So if you take your right arm out, why don't you take the arm alongside the ear? Now take your left hand on your right shoulder to feel like you're turning your armpit toward your chin. Right? So this rotation here, right, and then with the palm flipped back, is going to give people more length in the sideline of their body, and ultimately it's going to stop them from jamming up their shoulder. Right? So it's a specific direction of mobility that you're working with from the shoulder joint. Right? That's what most people forget. That this mobility is coming from your shoulder. You can give it a little bit more space from the sideline of your body to do that slight rotation. It's almost like the shoulder blade draws forward, and then you're lifting up from this space instead of just drawing the arm bone out of the shoulder socket, touching the ears up, and then you touch the spine to the middle. Now, with your bottom arm, right, the idea is that shoulder blade kind of drifts down and comes inward. And the shoulder draws back. If you draw your shoulder blade toward the midline, what naturally happens? If you shorten up those muscles, these muscles lengthen. Right? So you're using the idea of working with the antagonistic muscles to stretch. They start doing this. Right? Again, let it come from the shoulder. Shoulder needs to go back, and then the arm goes up. Once you grab those two arms, but the space is getting created in the shoulder and the chest, then they're going to decrease their chance of injury, and they're going to get a little bit more length in the pose. And then once you get that seal or the mudra with the hands, you're going to make sure the lower front rib cage is drawn in so it's neutral, it's not jutting forward. And if there's a forward movement, it's coming from a heart center. It's as if Fedra is melting into the heart center Expansive the quality of the inhalation is coming in. That's the power of the mudra and the arm position. It's a heart opener. Position of the arms. Just making those minor adjustments with the shoulders. Right? They make a difference. Like try to, you know, if you do it without that, you, know, you still might be able to touch if you're flexible, but you're going to miss out on the opportunity to join it. And the line, right? that you're affecting, right? It's not just about it, but again, affecting the line of the body. So that prana moves more freely. It's more than just a physical pose. Right? There's nadis or energy channels that you're also affecting, right? And these nadis in the silence of the body, digestion, assimilation. There's, there's other aspects that you want to consider. And that's why I really have people focus on the lines Shape is one way of looking at it, but thinking about what your what lines like, back line, front line, and side line.